Good morning and welcome to Kirkpatrick's second Scattered Worship event together. It is great to be with you this morning, whether you worship with us regularly at Kirkpatrick or maybe this is your first time joining with us. It is great to be with you, even if it is through your phone screen or your TV screen. This is all pretty strange and pretty new and it's going to take us some time to get used to worshipping together like this on a Sunday morning. But we are so thankful to God that we can connect together in this way. How amazing is it that although we may not be together in person to worship God, we can know that God meets us where we are and his presence is with us. So we have designed this service as a playlist to autoplay on your device, whether that be your TV or your phone. Last week, some folks only managed to watch individual videos on YouTube and therefore missed out on the flow of the service. So before you go any further, please make sure that you're watching this as a playlist on YouTube. It should be called City of Love Gathering 2 and it means the playlist will flow video to video. And in our worship service today, we will have a spoken word response to COVID-19. We will also have a visit from a very special guest that those of you in TOTS will recognise. We will have a prayer for those on our health service frontline and of course we will continue to read and reflect on God's word together. There is no doubt that the world at the moment is a scary and uncertain place. Life feels so very different to how it felt just a few weeks ago. We are worried for our friends, for our families and those we care so deeply about. And in this time of isolation, although we may feel alone and scared and uncertain about the future, God's word tells us that we are not alone, that God will never leave us. He will never forsake us, that God is with us. God is still in control and he is still on his throne. Let me read from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength an ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are with us this morning, no matter where we are. Thank you that as the psalmist writes, you are our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And as we come to you in these strange days, we are fearful. The days and weeks that lie ahead of us seem so uncertain. We do not know what they hold. Father, would you help us to face these weeks ahead, acknowledging that you are in control and knowing that there is not one thing that can happen to us that you do not know about. We ask that you would be our guide in the weeks and months ahead 
Help us to seek you first each day and live for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you do not leave us on our own and in an ever-changing world, you do not change. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to sing together now and although it may feel a bit strange that there aren't as many voices singing around you this week, um, we can still remember that we are one voice and we are one church. This song we're going to sing now reminds us that God is faithful. He is our rock in times of trouble and we can call on him at any time. Let's praise God together now as we sing, Faithful One, So Unchanging. Hi boys and girls, I brought a friend along. It's Dillis. Hi everybody. Boys and girls, Dillis knows exactly how you're feeling right now. It's tough to be kept in quarantine and Dillis lives in quarantine. She lives in this bag all the time. So she knows how you're feeling. And we thought that we'd bring Dillis along this morning to read you a Bible story and to hopefully cheer you on your way. So in she goes. And let's see what her Bible story is this morning. And it's one of her favourite Bible story books. It's called Stories Jesus Told. And we're going to read The Good Stranger. Are you sitting comfortably? Here is a man. He's going on a long journey. He packs some sandwiches and a flask of tea. Then he climbs onto his donkey. Giddy up. Soon he has left the time behind him. The sun is hot and the long climb up into the hills makes his donkey puff. The path winds between high rocks. It is a dark place, full of shadows. I don't like it here, says the man. He has a funny feeling that someone is watching him. Suddenly, there's a shout. Robbers! Three of them. They steal his donkey and all his belongings and they whack him on the head with his own stick. Poor man! He's left lying on the path. His head is bleeding and he cannot move his legs. He lies here for a long time. Then finally, he falls asleep. After a while, someone comes along the path. He's wearing fine clothes. A bishop. He stops, then hurries past, pretending not to see. Perhaps he's late for important business. Perhaps he's afraid. The man wakes up and starts to call for help. Ah, here comes someone, a man in a wig, a judge. Help, help. But the judge pretends not to hear and he hurries past, just like the bishop. The sun rises high in the sky. The man is hot, his throat is dry, but he here come more footsteps. Who is it? Oh no, it's a stranger from a foreign country. He has no friends here. Why should he stop to help? But the stranger does stop. 
He speaks kindly to the man in foreign words and helps him to drink some water. He washes his wounds and carefully puts a bandage around his head. The stranger helps the man up onto his donkey. He puts his arm around him to stop him from falling off and gently leads him down the path. At the next time, the stranger finds an inn. He puts the man to bed and pays the innkeeper. Look after him, he says, until I get back. Jesus says, which one was a good neighbour? The bishop, the judge or the stranger? I think we know who the good neighbour was. We know it was the stranger. And we also are called to be like the good stranger, the good Samaritan. Perhaps at the minute we can't go visit people, but maybe we could bake some buns for our neighbours, leave them on their doorstep. Maybe we could paint a picture. Maybe we could send a letter to someone we know who's lonely. And that would be one or two ways of being a good neighbour. But you know what? We also have an even better neighbour. We have Jesus, the perfect neighbour. And Jesus doesn't just leave us in our misery and our mess, but he puts his arm around us to stop us from falling off. And he gently leads us down the path. At this strange and weird time, boys and girls, let's remember that Jesus is the best neighbour of all. And let's put our hope and our trust in him. Good morning. Um, this springtime here at Kirkpatrick Memorial, we've been looking at Mark's gospel together and we've been journeying with Jesus uh, to Jerusalem. We've been journeying these last few days with him toward the cross. And a couple of weeks, uh, the last couple of weeks, we've spent with him in the garden. As he prayed in the garden, we saw Jesus bend his will to the mind of the Father and to accept the cup of God's wrath on our behalf. Last week, as we saw Jesus facing his arrest, we saw that he accepted the, the sword of God's justice and allowed it to fall on him rather than on us. Following Jesus' arrest in the garden, we're going to go today with him to his trial. Um, we're not going to have any standalone Bible reading this morning. I'm going to read passages as I speak. Uh, we're going to be picking up the story in Mark 15, uh, sorry, in Mark 14, beginning at verse 53. Um, I've got a wee sign here to help you to see uh, that reference just while I'm speaking. Why don't you follow along in your own Bible? Uh, feel free to pause the video for a second while you look up the passage. Okay, let's pick up the story in verse 53 of Mark 14. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself by the fire. 
The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they didn't find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even their testimony didn't agree. There's nothing more dramatic than to be on trial for your life. Could you imagine that? That's what's going on in our passage. Jesus is in trial and Mark tells us, verse 55, that the religious leaders want to put him to death. Any trial where somebody is facing a, a death sentence is going to be dramatic. And the dramatic high point of that trial will be that moment where the defendant is called to the stand. It's hard to imagine a more shocking and more dramatic testimony than the one that Jesus gives in his defense. Look at verse 60. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. There it is. He's finally said it. The high priest has put Jesus in the witness stand, as it were, and he's asked Jesus, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And he says, I am. As we have moved through Mark's gospel, Jesus has avoided this line of inquiry, or he's thrown this question back to the questioner. But this time, in answer to the high priest's question, this big question that's actually been with us right through the whole of Mark's gospel. It's still a big question for you and for me. Jesus, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, says Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. There are two biblical allusions tucked away there in verse 62. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. That's an allusion to uh, an Old Testament uh, vision recorded for us in Daniel chapter 7. The, the Son of Man there, he comes from the throne of God to the earth in the clouds of heaven and he comes to judge the world. Jesus tells the high priest and all these other gathered religious leaders that one day, They'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. This sitting at the right hand of God, that's an allusion to Psalm 110, where God makes his Messiah the judge of all the earth. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He says, I'm going to come to judge the earth. Of all the Bible verses and images Jesus could have chosen, he chooses these particular verses and images 
to describe himself as a judge. Do you see what he's doing? He's on trial, but he says he's the judge. He's questioning the whole trial. This evening, you're judging me with all this corruption, with all these false witnesses. You imagine yourselves to be judges of me, but you couldn't be further from the truth. I am the true judge. One day I'll come to judge the whole world. One day I'll come to judge you. Folks, that's sobering stuff, isn't it? You know, many of us still sit in judgment of Jesus. Maybe you've never thought of it that way. Those of us who aren't yet his followers, who haven't yet submitted to his leadership in our lives, we're kind of weighing him up. Can he give me what I want? What will I get out of this? I'll be the judge of that. I'll pass verdict. Even those of us who have chosen at some point to follow Jesus, we're still evaluating him. Can I follow him today? Does obeying him really lead me into life? I'll be the judge of that. I'll pass verdict on him. We act as though we're in a position somehow to evaluate or to judge Jesus. Truth is, he's the true judge. One day, he's going to pass judgment on me. So far in Mark's account, we've seen Jesus undermine the whole basis of his trial by saying that he's the judge. Let's keep going with this trial to see what we can learn about the verdict and about the sentence. First of all, the verdict. Whenever Jesus tells the high priest that he's the divine judge, all hell breaks loose in that court. Look at verse 63. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. In a moment, the whole court deteriorates. It descends into a riot. It's not a trial anymore. The judges and jurors, they spit on Jesus. They beat him. The charge has been blasphemy and the verdict's passed. Guilty. It's ironic, hugely ironic. The only perfect man who ever lived pronounced guilty by men whose guilt is every bit as great as his innocence. We've thought about the judge. We've thought briefly about the verdict. Let's think finally for a moment about the sentence. The court of the Sanhedrin has sentenced Jesus to death, but actually they don't have the power to enact the sentence. They have limited powers and any capital case uh, would need to be confirmed by the Roman procurator. So as soon as they're able, the Sanhedrin take Jesus to Pilate to put Jesus to death. Mark tells us about it in chapter 15. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away and handed him over to Pilate. 
Are you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. It's like a second trial. The religious leaders are there. They're accusing him of the same sort of stuff all over again. And Jesus doesn't answer their charges. Pilate's astounded. The other gospel writers tell us that Pilate didn't really fancy this case with Jesus. He tried to squirm out of it. But then Pilate remembers that he has another card to play. You see, there's a time-honoured custom where you release a prisoner at the time of a national celebration. It's Passover, so why not release a prisoner? Let's read on, verse 6. Now, it was the custom at the time of the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. Pilate's trying to find a way out. He knows that the religious leaders are only accusing Jesus out of envy, but that they don't have any real case against him. Surely the crowd uh, will opt to have Jesus set free. But Mark tells us, verse 11, that the chief priests stirred up the crowd to get Pilate to release Barabbas instead. Barabbas is a guilty man, one who's been convicted of murder. And Jesus is innocent, one who's only ever lived a life of love. What's Pilate to do? He caves in and he asks the crowd about Jesus. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed over to them to be crucified. Two men facing the death penalty. Barabbas, guilty of sin, but set free. Jesus, innocent of sin, but condemned to die. For weeks now we've noticed a surprising theme running through these last days of Jesus' life. Despite appearances, Jesus is totally in control when he was in the garden, he chose to take the cup of God's wrath. When he faced his arrest, he chose to go under the sword of God's justice. Now in this passage, he's chosen to submit to these couple of rigged trials. When we read this passage about Jesus and Barabbas, though, it's tempting to think that suddenly something terrible has happened. It all went wrong when the people chose Barabbas. No. It's no mistake 
that the people chose Barabbas. This is exactly what Jesus intended. Actually, if Pilate had asked Jesus the same question that he asked the crowd that day, which of these two men do you want me to release? The outcome would have been exactly the same. Jesus would have chosen Barabbas too. You see, friends, this is why Jesus came. He came to die so that Barabbas could live. He came to die so that I can live. He came to die so that you can live. Jesus came to die in our place. Let me offer you a picture that might give you a fresh way of understanding this aspect of Jesus' death. When I was a wee boy, I used to light fires, uh, and sometimes I'd do it with a magnifying glass on a summer's day. I'd arrange a pile of, of dry leaves or dry grass, and then I'd use the glass to focus the, the sun's rays down onto a tiny point. The sheer intensity of the concentrated light at that very small point would then begin to heat the leaves and the grass until they finally burnt into flame. That's what happened when Jesus died on the cross at Calvary. All the sin and rebellion of humanity in all times and in all places was concentrated in that moment down to that one point, on to Jesus. In that moment, he took the sins of the world. All of them. And in that moment, God's judgment bore down on him. And that's why he came. He came to serve a death sentence in our place. I don't know whether this has ever occurred to you, but you and I have a lot in common with Barabbas. We stand before God, the judge of all the earth, and the verdict's clear. We're guilty. The sentence has been passed. We too deserve death. Beside us stands Jesus, the one who's every bit as innocent as we are guilty. And he asks his father, when the father asks him, whom shall I release? This guilty rebel or my only perfect son? The son replies, release him. Let him go free. Release her. I want to see her live. I wonder, friends, have we ever really grasped this? In Jesus, God died in your place. We have a choice to face, each one of us, and that choice is whether we face God's judgment and wrath on our own or whether we accept that Jesus has taken it for us. It's your choice. What are you going to choose? Hello. My name's LJ Maltram and um, I'm a member here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. I'm married to Dave and we have four children. 
Fraser, Isla, Callum and as of five weeks ago, Edith. And now normally I work as a consultant in the intensive care unit in the Royal Victoria Hospital, but I'm off on maternity leave at the moment. Uh, and so I think probably the best thing I can do for my colleagues who are working in healthcare is to pray for them um, because I'm not with them at the moment working there. For every one of us this week, life will have changed significantly. Been, there will have been a real change in the pace of life and for you that might mean a slowing up, um, staying at home. You might be battling loneliness. It might be strangely quiet in your house. And for others, the pace will have quickened. It will have become very busy. And that's particularly so for those working in healthcare. In no other profession will the pressure of the pandemic that we're facing um, really be as apparent. Um, and so we want to uplift our colleagues, um, many of whom are in the congregation, we want to uplift them in prayer. So what is it like working in the front line of healthcare at the moment? Well, obviously I can't really tell you directly because I'm not there, but I have been in contact with my colleagues working in intensive care um, some of them work as GPs uh, and this is what they've told me. At the moment they say there's a sense of fear, um, fear of not having enough, not having enough staff. Some of the staff may become sick, not having enough trained staff, maybe not having enough space, not having enough equipment. And those fears are real. There is a sense of busyness in the preparation. Um, for that, for some, that will mean a change in their clinical area, changing of wards. It might mean training of staff, um, changing of roles. For some, there's been a description of it feeling eerily quiet this week, um, where they work. A sense of the calm before the storm. Um, and there's uncertainty in that. And they've asked us to pray. They've asked us to pray for strength to sustain them through this for what may be quite a long time. For wisdom. For safety for themselves and their families. And also that they'd be a witness to others. So let's do that now. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you this morning and we're humbled by the last week. We're all filled with anxiety, Lord. There's uncertain times ahead and we just want to commit that to you. We trust you, Father. We have to trust you at the moment. But many of us are struggling with this. We want to bring before you our friends in the congregation who work in healthcare. And Lord, we want to bring them before you in prayer and uplift them, Father. We ask, Lord, that you would give them strength to sustain them, give them energy for the work that is happening now and will be happening in the future. We pray that you protect them from overwhelming sadness, that you protect them from fear. 
that you would help them to cope with uncertainty. We pray, Lord, for strength. Father, we ask for wisdom for those who will be making difficult decisions. Guide them, Lord. Whether those decisions be around patience or around the use of resources, we pray that you'd give them wisdom. We pray that you'd guide our leaders, <clears throat> politicians, and those who have leadership roles within the healthcare system. Be with them, Lord, we pray. Give them wisdom. Father, we pray for safety for all those healthcare workers who will be exposed to this disease. And we pray for safety for their families because they are at risk of bringing it home to them, Lord. We pray for safety, protection. Finally, Lord, we pray that those who are Christians in the healthcare environment would be a good witness to you. That their calmness, their courage would be remarkable. That they would be able to bring hope into situations that appear hopeless. And that this could be an opportunity for them to share their faith with others and be a witness to you. Father, at the moment it feels like we're all walking through a valley, which is dark, and we are afraid. But Father, we know by your word that you've told us you will comfort us by your rod and staff, and that we don't have to fear. We ask you, Father, that to draw close to us. We are leaning on you. We cling to you because it's all we can do. And we pray, Lord, that you would sustain those in the healthcare system who are working hard at the moment. Bring them a sense of peace, courage, strength, wisdom. We ask these things in your name. Amen. I hope that if you have a bit of extra time this week. You would spend it praying for people who work in healthcare. Um, God bless you. Folks, I thought I'd take a moment to explain to you why I'm calling these gatherings City of Love gatherings. I've been a fan of the Scottish group or band Deacon Blue ever since I was a teenager. Uh, and just a few weeks ago, they released a new album called The City of Love. Ricky Ross, the band's new lead singer, he explains the, the title. He said, I've discovered that the bones of St. Valentine are kept in a church in the Gorbals part of Glasgow, which is where we've made the album. That gave the album a feeling. It's a feeling of reconciliation and bringing people together. I wanted to tell different stories of love. That really anchors the record. Uh, by the way, I've stuck the title track, City of Love, on at the end of our service after the benediction. Think of it like the title's music at the end of a film and see uh, whether you don't enjoy it. 
The song and the title got me thinking. This is exactly what Jesus wants us to be. A city of love. He told us that we were lovers. In the upper room, he told his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. So we're to be lovers, um, but we're also a city. It's an image of the people of God that crops up loads of times right throughout the Bible. Uh, Isaiah often describes God's people as a city. At the end of Revelation, John describes uh, the people of God uh, as a, a city. And Jesus does so too. He once told his disciples that they were like a, a city on a hill. We often talk about church as a family or as a church community. What I love about this image, this city image, is the, the idea of the size, the space and the welcome. There's room here. Room in this city for anyone who wants to come. I've latched on to this idea of a city of love, hoping that it might be an encouragement to you in, in a difficult time. We've had to give up meeting together. It feels like we're losing lots of things. A lot of our normal uh, stuff is being stripped away. Maybe there's something good in that. Maybe we need to leave some stuff behind so that we start to notice again the important stuff. As it says in the song, all that remains is a city of love. Folks, I hope you found encouragement and you've enjoyed our City of Love gathering here today. I just want to make a few comments, a few announcements if you like. First of all, to say we're, we're glad to hear of any feedback if there's anything that you want to share with us about how you've enjoyed this service or how you could uh, suggest that we might improve it to help you connect with God and to connect with one another, then please be in touch and we'll see how we can reflect that in future gatherings. Another thing I'd like to say is just know that this is something you can invite other people along to. Those of us who are part of church families maybe take something for granted, that sense of being part of something bigger, of a community or of a family. A lot of people around us don't have that privilege. And at a time like this, when they can't go to work or can't connect with people in the ways that they often or normally do, they, they can very easily feel isolated and alone. Maybe this is a good time to invite someone to drop in and share in a gathering like this. Uh, this gathering really is about helping people with the two big connections in life, to connect with God and to connect with each other. If you know anybody who would benefit from an invitation to connect with us in this way, please do feel free to, to share this. Just the last thing to say is that after the benediction and after the, the song that we've uh, mentioned there, the Deacon Blue song, which I've put up, uh, you'll see some other short videos. Uh, they're kind of like the outtakes. 
that you would get at the end of a movie or on the, the bonus disc with your DVD, for those of you who are old enough to remember what a DVD is. Um, we're going to throw some outtakes at the end of each City of Love gathering. Um, today we're going to get video greetings from, uh, from Paris and from Vancouver. Uh, because of the format, we can really put anything in there that we like. So who knows what our takes will have in the weeks to come. Uh, feel free to be in touch if you want to share something that you think might be an encouragement to the church family. God bless you and be with you this week. So we are now coming to the end of our second City of Love gathering and to close today I'd love to share with you the words from question one of the Heidelberg Catechism. The question is this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer, that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Saviour Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. This is our comfort and hope as we head out into the week before us, that whatever we face, our only comfort in both life and in death is that we are not our own, but belong to Jesus Christ, our faithful Saviour. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. So we are now coming to the end of our second City of Love gathering and to close today I'd love to share with you the words from question one of the Heidelberg Catechism. The question is this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer, that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Saviour Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. This is our comfort and hope as we head out into the week before us, that whatever we face, our only comfort in both life and in death is that we are not our own, but belong to Jesus Christ, our faithful Saviour. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. Hello to all my friends in Kirkpatrick Memorial. My name is Jenny Brown and I have been going to Kirkpatrick for um, at least 10 years. Uh, whilst I was in Belfast for many years, I moved in the middle of last year to Paris for a couple of years. Um, I'm working on secondment um, with Talis in Massey, which is just outside Paris. And I'm on secondment from the, the site at Castlereagh in Belfast. 
So I belong to uh, Dan Hayes House Group and um, all of the folks in that community around Belmont. So I'm really glad that I continue to be connected um, and very much remembered by that group uh, through WhatsApp. And while I'm in Paris, I'm part of um, Trinity International Church, uh, which is sponsored by um, an American church. So uh, connectivity has been really important in remaining connected with people. And in Paris, our life group meets up um, using video conferencing. And that's been really good because uh, last Saturday we were joined by a family who have uh, who are, have and are recovering from COVID-19. So it's been really important to enable them to participate. And I'm also looking forward to uh, doing more uh, interactive communication with the, the folks in Dan's group. Uh, very aware of uh, my friends who are healthcare professionals uh, in Dan's group, but also I know at Kirkpatrick, the wider church community um, has a huge proportion of healthcare professionals and um, all of those who are linked into the caring professions um, in whatever capacity. Um, I just want you all to know that I'm uh, aware of your circumstances and um, you're constantly in my thoughts. Uh, particularly over the, the next few weeks. So um, I'll say goodbye and very much look forward to the next time that I can connect physically with you all in Belfast. Take care for now. Bye-bye. Hello, everybody at Kirkpatrick Memorial. We've been thinking a lot about you in these very weird days. The Monties have always suffered a bit with FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, and we were concerned about what we might be missing back at home during these days. COVID-19 was a bit of a drastic way to uh, help us to realise we weren't going to be missing out on much at all. However, here in Vancouver we are missing out on a lot because the college has completely closed, the churches aren't meeting, all of our plans and uh, opportunities to have coffee with friends, they have been scrapped. Even our special anniversary holiday has been scrapped, uh, so everything's changed. Except that Monty still is busy on his research and writing and I've been working away on my book, and we're also spending time reading and working out what God is trying to teach us at this time. We've also been in contact with some of our more isolated uh, colleagues in IFES back in Europe. But in case you're feeling too sorry for us, this is where we happen to be stuck. Just a few minutes walk from our house. So it's been great being part of KMPC's Scattered Worship together. And we do pray particularly for those of you who are feeling uh, concerned for your health and finding it tough in these days of isolation. This morning I read Psalm 102, a verse that Gwen didn't even believe was in the Bible when I told her. Uh, David says, uh, or maybe it wasn't David, whoever it was, said, I feel like a, a sparrow, a lonely sparrow on a rooftop. But, ever, but then he goes on to say, you, God, however, are enthroned in the heavens. No matter how lonely or isolated we feel, he sees us, his eye is on us, and he loves us. God bless you. God bless. Bye-bye.